Well, welcome back to Crazy Face Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And uh, friends, we're in a series we've been looking at now for several weeks, taking a look at uh, what we are calling honesty and hope in matters of death and dying. And so far, we have taken a look at big picture questions about why it's worth being able to talk about death, our own mortality, and and others, and maybe why it's helpful to talk with our families and friends uh, as much as possible in advance and to give thought about what our wishes are, both for funeral arrangements and things like, oh, do I want to be buried or cremated, or is that allowable? Does my faith speak to that? And questions like, um, does the Christian faith have a position on organ donation? And short answer there, our voices are at least where it is might be the most Christ-like thing somebody can do to offer their own body that might prolong somebody else's life. Um, but those are where we've been. Sarah, where is our conversation going to go today? So today we're going to shift our focus a little tiny bit because so far this has all been, I have now recognized that someday I'm going to die. What can I do to prepare for my eventual death to make my death? hopefully easier for my friends and family. Um, but today we're going to shift it slightly to now, what do we do when somebody whom we love, whether a family member or friend, um, has now died unexpectedly, who you might not necessarily know what their wishes were? Mm. So what do you now do in those moments of unexpected deaths? I appreciate the way you you frame that, Sarah, because one of the other things that has kind of been the undercurrent in our conversation so far is it's a hard enough um, hill to get over for any of us to accept that at any point any of us will die. Our culture is not great at even acknowledging that it ever happens for anybody. But at some point, uh, you live long enough and you sort of learn there's a flow to life and the natural way of things we are told is that you get older and at some point... In the ideal world, you live to see several generations, and when the people who are your direct responsibility are now grown and taking care of children of their own, then you can go to your rest. Like the, the way the the Old Testament lessons will talk about the, the patriarchs and matriarchs, they were gathered to their ancestors, and they mean that in a positive way. They finally were at rest. That feels like it fits the script, at least. It's hard, but it fits the script. And what is difficult as we turn the corner in our conversation today is that just when we think we got the hang of that, life sometimes throws us a curveball or yanks the rug out from under us, and people that don't fit that script uh, are taken from us. And there, the hole in our lives is just as gaping, but now it's more sudden, right? So yeah. this this is a whole different set of circumstances. So so my my five-year-old son is learning about death, I'm not really sure if they're talking about it in kindergarten or like where he's learning about it necessarily. Just I just know that it seems like every day or every other day he comes home with a new tidbit of information that he didn't seem to have known the previous day. Um, and some things are just radically inaccurate. Like there was a couple of days there where he insisted that everybody dies when they turn 41. Interesting. I'm not huh. really sure where that number came from. Um, maybe it's because his dad is 40 and, but, and he's like, <laughs> you're really old, dad. TikTok dad, just yeah. Wait, just wait in August, you're going to die. Um, so I'm not sure if that was it. So mm -hmm. some of them really inaccurate, but like he's 
learning about it. And it's so fascinating to watch him learn about death. Like this morning or breakfast, he was just, mom, did you know that when we die, we stop moving? We don't Mm. move anymore after we die. Mm. And, you know, it was like, yep, that's true. Do you want more milk? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was was just like, it was just processing it as he was Mm -hmm. eating. Like, this is what it means to die. Like, this is what happened. Like, when you die, you stop moving. Yeah. And like that, he was like, it was just such a mind blowing fact for him because he's five. He never stops moving. Like, even in his sleep, he's so restless because he just has so much energy. So this was such like a foreign concept to him of like, you don't move at yeah, all yeah. ever again. It, it's funny that we had almost the inverse conversation with my daughter maybe three, four years ago when she was first be, in probably in a similar phase of like learning and thinking about death and whatever. And sh- she connected with that uh, when you die, you stop breathing or when you stop breathing, you die. And so she would say, well, dad, how about we just make a deal that you and I were just going to keep breathing. And so for <laughs> years, we, my, my daughter and I would look at each other and go, we, look, we don't have to be afraid about that. We got a plan, right, Anna? We're, we're just going to keep breathing. And there'd be times when my son, who is the older of the two, would sort of look around the table like, you, you, she doesn't get it. That like, there's a point when you can't control that you're not breathing anymore. Mm-hmm. And we just, just let it go. This is where we're at right now. We're going to deal. We're going to keep breathing. But so, yeah, like for there's there's a developmental piece for all of us that we just the concept of someone not being there anymore is hard. And it takes a long time in any of our lives just to get the concept of people who are there fixtures in our lives, maybe for a long time, live their lives. And that's the cycle of things. But it can be so jarring when when then that pattern gets upended and and lives are cut short or what feel to us cut short. before their time and they, like even the way we talk about it or even our euphemisms for it you know they they died too young or there was before their time or something like that that it it just like screams out the injustice to us you know that even if it feels somehow right or at least acceptable that someone gets to live to the ripe old age of 85 or 90 or whatever it feels unjust when we aren't given what we expect maybe it's worth naming that there are several different ways that can happen in our lives. Of yeah. course, there are circumstances where there are medical causes, a disease or something like that. Like during the the pandemic, maybe it, it hit home for us, uh, not only that people who were well into their 70s or 80s or, or at high risk succumbed, but there were people who were very young who got very sick and who died. And there are times where it's sickness itself or something congenital. Um, there's also times where there's violence that's involved, whether it's some tragic accident, like car accident or something like that. Um, but we also have to name, we live in a, in a world, in a culture, in a country where all kinds of sorts of violence cut people's lives short. Uh, and that that has a whole different feeling of, uh, tragedy to it and injustice to it. And my goodness, blessedly, we don't live in a war zone, but I think right now about neighbors half a world away in Ukraine right now, where the fear is, uh, you know, will will a, a Russian missile or a bomb or something like that blow up their village or something? And how many other places in the world are active war zones as well, where those are other ways where these things happen? And I think each one of those brings about a different, I don't, I don't want to say different level, but a different type of grief. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like... They're all tragic. They're yep. all horrendous. They are all unexpected. Yeah. But I, I feel like a car accident brings about a different type of grief 
than a mass shooting. Yep. Then does somebody dying of some sort of health condition yeah. then does a war. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to distinguish between those. Yeah. You know, in, in, in a scenario like what we're in now and just trying to discuss them. But I think we can all say like, yeah, you know, if I were to experience that and lose a loved one that way, it would feel different yeah. if they died in a car accident right. than right. if they died in a war zone. So, so there's, um, you know, there's the stages of grief Yep. and mm-hmm. it, it occurs to me as we're talking about this, uh, for me, that that stage of anger yeah. is mm-hmm. often when something takes somebody's yeah. life before what we think is their time. Yeah that anger has a place to go and it's often stronger and often hangs around longer Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's hard to be angry or you feel bad about being angry at the person for dying Mm -hmm. because often it's it's not their fault. Right. But if they die because of a Mm -hmm. car accident or because of cancer or because somebody had a gun and decided to pull the trigger mm-hmm. then you have something other than the person who died to yeah. be angry at yeah, yeah. You yeah. Can be angry at the gunman you can be angry at that car accident and the person who was drunk behind the wheel yep. you can be angry at cancer but that's easier yeah mm-hmm. than being angry at the person who died because you loved that person and really you're angry because they're not there with you anymore yeah Mm-hmm. I'm I'm so glad you you named that Sarah because I think I think you you've just said it so perfectly and in other circumstances there's a feeling of loss when uh dear great great aunt Edna passes away but it feels like okay but I couldn't have asked for more she got to have such a good life and we we because of the unjust feelings we have when when someone dies young mm-hmm. or in in extraordinary or violent circumstances we're looking for, well, whose fault is it? And that immediately is a place for that anger to go. And yeah, we look for who we can be mad at. Um, and in those cases, then then there is this follow-up question of what, what do we do with that anger? I mean, because I don't think it's wrong. I don't, I don't think it is inappropriate to feel anger, especially no. when there is a clear culprit, you know, when it's someone should have been behind the wheel and they were drunk or they were high or they were intoxicated or... Um, you know, whatever, maybe, maybe you're upset at the city government because there should have been a stop sign and there wasn't, I mean, it doesn't have to be a, a, a willful malevolence. There can be negligence as well. Um, but somehow it feels like that it, it's appropriate to be angry, but then the, what, what do we do with that anger? Because so many times people feel like anger then equals, I need to get revenge or punishing that mm-hmm. person or hurting them or something will make me feel better. And that isn't the case either. Um, but again, maybe maybe a separate conversation that I don't know if it's our work or somebody else's work to do, but is as much as we're bad at talking about death, we're bad at talking about how we deal with anger in the culture yeah. that we live in. And sometimes that means that we think, okay, you can't ever be angry or that it's not Christian to be angry or something like that. Um, or on the other hand, that anger because you feel that you're allowed to express it any way you want and yeah revenge is the best you know solution like no there needs to be another way to talk about that anger because i can be angry that someone i love is gone or that somebody else's action or negligence uh took them from me or something like that but i don't have to go on a vendetta to go get them that doesn't bring them back you know and it makes sense and it's i think it's easier for a lot of folks to get angry at 
the other driver at cancer at a gunman whatever but also when we deal with unexpected death anger at god yeah is something that really in, in my pastoral experience and in my own personal experience you know has been something that i have wrestled with and i have walked with others as they've wrestled with as well yeah and so many times people are afraid to say that they're angry at god yeah in this yeah. midst yeah and this is one of the difficult places for us as pastors i should say because inescapably no matter how much we want to invite people to be as honest as you want to be people will see us as like spokespersons for god incorporated you know that like and well mm-hmm. i can't say these things in front of the pastor that's their job is to you know defend god or put the best spin and it I, again one of the things i hope is valuable about a conversation like this for people to listen into when hopefully they are not dealing with being in the valley of the shadow of death necessarily at the moment is for here are three pastors saying not only is it okay to be mad at god in times like that but that the the bible is full of people who get mm-hmm. angry at god in times like that and as we've said in other episodes and other series there's a whole book within the uh the bible the the book of psalms is full of laments that have that posture and sometimes like very sharp claws god you abandoned me why did you let this terrible thing happen to me or someone i love um and that sometimes those end with but i'll trust in you and sometimes they just end with this glaring forgive my crudeness but what the hell are you doing god and that the bible yeah. includes that uh, I think gives permission. You know, okay, you can be there. If that's where you need to be, fine. God can take whatever punches you got to throw. It's, I think it's important. Like, I was once accused by a family member, not my family member, a family member of somebody who had died, that like, you know, you wouldn't understand what it means to be angry at God mm. for this. Because you're a pastor, like, you right. don't get angry at you're God. You're not allowed. And, and I remember, like, I was a really young, like younger than I am now, obviously. Like it was like my first call or something like that. And um, I remember thinking, that's just not true. Like pastors, we grieve when people that we love die. And part of that grief sometimes means getting angry at God. And perfect example is the movie Signs with Mel Gibson. <laughs> yes, right. Mel Gibson in that movie, um, you find out at the end, like he had been a preacher and his wife died and he was angry at God and felt like he had lost his faith. So he stepped down um, from his position in the church and he was just focusing on raising his family and um, when aliens attacked, but um, like, like happens, (laughs) it just happens. Um, And, uh, but like through the journey that he takes throughout that movie with the aliens um, by the end of it, he was able to come to terms with, um, with his grief and with uh, his relationship with God and was able to resume his ministry. And while there's probably lots of things wrong with that movie, because I haven't seen it in a very long time. um, It's, you know, I think that's true is we are in relationship with God. And anytime you're in relationship with somebody, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have grief and anger and all of those things and if you're not feeling those negative emotions towards somebody that you're in a relationship with i don't think you're in a very good relationship if it's just all the positive happy things um and i think that's true with our relationship with god like it's okay to be angry at god um and like steve said god's big enough to take it it's fine right right and i i think 
along with that, you know, like, um, it's fair to say that you can be at a place of I'm angry at God now because it seems like God didn't do or shouldn't do or whatever. And that there may come a point later in life where you can see things from a different perspective and, Oh, I was blaming you that you took them and that's not really it. Or, but like, it's also okay if sometimes we, that, that clarity or there's no aha over here, here's the good that came out of it. I think sometimes, sometimes again, people uh, peg pastors to be the ones who are like, well, something good will come out of this. And sometimes it does, but like, mm-hmm. sometimes we don't get to see that this side of glory and our hope that we keep, have, we keep talking about in this series about being people who believe in resurrection and a new creation is not to short circuit that grief is real and raw and difficult. And that it's not simply a matter of uh, in a, in a certain matter of time, you'll see how good things turned out to be for the best or whatever. Sometimes it's nope, this is terrible. Or sometimes uh, there is great sorrow, not just for the immediate circle of those who are grieving, but for the other people whose whose life courses are changed or affected um, for generations. Maybe you know when when somebody dies, and it's not in that uh, that uh, cookie cutter sort of expected. You know when when you die with young children, you die, and and it's a young marriage. There are so many ways where it feels like that that affects so many other people's lives, and it's not fair to those young children who now grow up without a parent or the community mm-hmm. that is without their loved one or something like that, and to name all those other layers of grief. Yeah, because especially when it's a young person in their prime mm-hmm. who who died, um, yeah, there there's that aspect, especially if they have a young family. But I also just I always wonder if, if they hadn't died so young, what work could they have accomplished? Sure. Like, um, you know, one of one of our favorite theologians that we've talked about on this podcast is Rachel Held Evans. Yeah, and she died really young. Um, and unexpectedly. And, you know, it was one of those things of like, this was a theologian that was our age instead of an old white dead guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, it was so nice to read her work and her thoughts and, you know, to be able to go, yeah, everything that you're saying resonates with me because you're, you're my age. Like you, you're growing up in this exact same circumstance that I am, that I grew up in. And, you're experiencing the same world that I'm experiencing right now. And you're able to articulate things in ways that I can't articulate. And so when she died, it like one of the moments of grief for me as somebody who had never met her, just enjoyed yeah. her work was going. Now, when I enter into my forties and my fifties and my sixties, I'm not going to be able to read your thoughts as yeah. to how we can engage with this world, this broken world that we both live in. Yeah. Uh, because you're no longer writing. Yeah. And yeah. The works that I have of yours is going to forever be the works of your 20s and your 30s. And you're not going to be here to grow, to finish growing yeah. up with me. Yeah. Um, and like, so to me, that was that mo- like devastating moment of when she died of like, oh, no. Yeah much too young i'm not ready to let you go because i needed you to help articulate all the things that i'm thinking and feeling yeah and there are times when i think about like other voices that have been cut short in their prime like that as well and i feel almost selfish when i think this but like i wish you know if they would have lived another 30 years for this to be the question of the day or this to be the issue whatever how would they weighed in what were they thought about this how would they have engaged this and man Mm -hmm. we could use their voice um Mm -hmm because it is so difficult sometimes when somebody is frozen in time. Like I, I, I think of the way Dr. King is like made into a caricature by anybody. Like, you know, you learn one Dr. Yeah. King quote and you can make him say about anything, but like 
man, how different it would have been to have seen him, uh, you know, live for more decades and write and speak and think. And again, that doesn't mean that everybody always would have agreed with what he said on any given topic. Uh, but like to have had that voice or, uh, you know, we often talk about uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer as another 20th century, one of those saints who, um, man had a lot of clarity for the moments and times that he lived through, but boy, it would have been interesting to hear what a post-World War II Bonhoeffer would have thought or something like that. And, and yeah, th- there's, there's that you, you, you miss their voice uh, and what they could have said in later circumstances that it's not just, I want more of them, but like, man, there's, it feels like now we're on our own. Uh, you know, who's, who's going to be mm-hmm. those guiding voices. And, and I like, again, the, the people that we're talking about right now are like famous people. Yeah. But I think it that that still happens even with the close friends yeah. of ours, like friends oh, yeah. and family, yeah. like um, you you know, like when you reach those big moments of like, oh, my kid just graduated. I really yeah. wish his grandpa could be here today. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, oh, um, my daughter's getting married. I wish her dad could be here. Like right. you know, it's those moments too right. of like in real life of. This is a big moment for our family. Yeah. And here are the empty chairs at right. the table. Right, right, right. And it's, it's, oh, go ahead. It's not just big moments. I'm thinking back to, um, had a friend of mine that I worked with at camp years ago who died in her early 30s from cancer. Leave my had a husband and a very young son. And I always did our campfire devotionals on Thursday nights for that camp. And I had told Jen, she was dealing with cancer at the time. The following summer, I wouldn't be able to be there because I had a, something for seminary that would take me, keep me away from camp. And I said, Jen, I want you to do the devotion. I want you to share with these kids how God has moved in your life through your cancer. And then she died in February. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, you know, what could the the witness that she could have shared with those kids mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. no longer there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I think another element of grief, um, that sometimes what we are grieving when people die is the future we envision them sharing with us, you know, and it's sort yeah. of like you mentioned, Sarah. And I, I, again, like, I, I, I don't mean for us to just be like pouring salt in all of our collective wounds or those who are listening, because like this, that's, that's kind of the risk of this honest conversation. But, um, one of the things I've discovered in, in the handful of years I've been in pastoral ministry is how often there's the initial shock. And then later in time, what people discover they're missing is, but I pictured a life with this person. And sometimes it's spouse. Sometimes it's, I pictured them, like you mentioned at the graduation or at this moment, or I was, you know, this is how mm-hmm. life was going to be. And the letting go of that and being able to say it was a good thing that I had pictured and I'm not going to get that good thing or the other people I cared about are not going to get things the way that we pictured them. And that ability to, to say things aren't going to go the way I planned. There's a grief in losing those visions or hopes or dreams about what things are going to be like. And again, at some point, uh, voices will come to us and say, that's true. And we will make different memories and we'll have a different course of life and, and life will go on. But yeah, we need to be able to grieve that the things, the way we pictured them aren't going to be the way that we had pictured things going. Um, and in that regard, like there's some of that grief to all kinds of jarring life changes. You know, when somebody gets abruptly fired and, but there was picturing for working that company for my whole life or a uh, cross country move, or, you know, there's all kinds of other ways that the cookie cutter picture we have for here's how life is supposed to go gets upended. Um, but to be able to name that, that we bring a lot of those expectations. And that's a thing we grieve when somebody that we love dies. 
when we get to those moments, you know, that, that wedding, that the birth of that grandchild, something, we have to also be able to name the fact that there is, there is that grief mm-hmm. in that moment. Yeah. Um, Cause so often we want to just focus on the joy of, you know, celebrations, which we should, but with every new celebration means another celebration without someone. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also in a weird way, then uh, this whole like survivor guilt of like, at some point when you move on in life or you're able to like, people can sometimes feel like I feel bad that I'm happy again, or you're like, Oh, this good thing happened. And we got through the wedding and I smiled and I was happy. And for a moment, I even forgot that so-and-so wasn't there. And then you end up feeling guilty about that. You felt happy or that like the new memories are, are able to be made without like that. All that's difficult and all and naming that I think is important, too, because like sometimes people find themselves six months, a year or years down the road and wondering, why am I all of a sudden grieving so and so at this happy moment? And I should be happy, focus on the happy thing. And like some part of it is you're missing that the person who's died isn't there or part of you is dealing with. Am I allowed to be happy in this other area of my life, even while also missing this person? And that to be happy again in some moment is not to denigrate the importance that they played in your life or the role that they played, but it's to say that we human beings are complicated and we can be both at the same time, both happy and sad. Mm-hmm. We can be joyful and sorrowful. I think that's an important moment to recognize in ourselves when we feel like we can't allow ourselves to be happy after somebody's died. And I'm thinking specifically when, um, you know, you've, you've lost a significant other, you know, Mm -hmm. a spouse or even just a a boyfriend or a girlfriend through death instead of a breakup. Yeah. And then like that moment when you decide that it's time to start dating again, uh, like, you know, sometimes after death, that's a really difficult decision Yeah, because it's, you know, we always want to say, Oh, my significant other would want me to be happy again. Um, and often that's true, but then when we look deep in ourselves, it's a little bit like, well, yeah, but there's a part of me that if I was the one to die, would I necessarily (laughs) want my significant other to be in a relationship, a romantic relationship with somebody else? No, I wouldn't (laughs) want them to be in another relationship like that. That that's a horrible image to think about. And, um, and you know that's also true. Like it, both things can be true. Yeah. Um. Without mm-hmm. beating ourselves up for yeah. wanting to be happy again. Yeah. In a similar way to what we were once before. Yeah. Um. So you know that that that's always one of those things that when I'm in conversation with people who have lost a significant other, which I have not, so this is all theoretical to me. Um. Is don't beat yourself up when you feel ready you're ready but if you don't feel ready don't push yourself right 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 i guess i think that's a place where where uh romantic love uh deepens and matures over time as well at least ideally um that like there is this sort of like infatuation of early young like you're the only one for me we were meant to be and there's nobody else and then there comes a point in life where it's like after enough decades it's not that like no it's not that i was wrong but like 
okay, but uh, I I can so will your happiness that if I'm gone, I would rather you be happy in a way that maybe I couldn't have said in those words when we were in our 20s or something like that, that I would have said, no, but I'm the only one for you and you're the only one for me. And like, okay, but if there's a point when you're lonely and it's you were ta- it's it's either talking on the walls or finding out someone else to share, you know, afternoon tea with, I want you to be happy, that kind of thing. I can get how that's a piece where love changes or grows or matures. And that it's not a one is wrong and one is is right, but more like it's it's a question of time and season of life. I think mm-hmm. there's a um uh, a song in um, Stephen Sondheim's Company that comes to mind, and the title of it is uh, "Sorry, Grateful, Regretful, Happy." Um, and I love that mix of it's it's not about grief and death, but it it does have to do with the end of a romantic relationship. But I love that there's this image of like you are to 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 be in any kind of meaningful relationship includes that tension of all those all at the same time. You can be sorry and grateful and regretful and happy. Um, and that like life in the midst of grief is like that. You can be grateful for the life that you got with them. You can also be grateful for other future happy moments that happen. Um, and at the same time, you can feel it terribly unfair that they aren't there. Um, and you can grieve their absence. All, all of those things can be true at the same time. I, I guess a, a thing I, I want to ask, maybe just to, to open the door a little bit, is we had talked about that there are times when... Um, you feel angry or there's a there's a cause to somebody's premature death and it feels like you can identify a culprit um and that sometimes can like take the negative emotion of i need to get revenge on the person you know the drunk driver or the person who shot my loved one or something like that that's not healthy but sometimes there's a okay so and so died from such and such a disease and it mobilized somebody in the memory of so and so we are going to help raise money for cancer so that somebody else mm-hmm. won't won't have to go through that someday or um people who work against uh gun violence or drunk driving and like and i think about like and, and i grew up in the generation of mad in schools you know the mothers against mm-hmm. drunk driving you know mm-hmm. um where like there was all the like okay uh people who had lost children because of drunk driving who decided instead of letting that anger and grief consume them that okay what can we do to help prevent and teach other another generation of kids not to drive drunk or something like that and there's something that is uh, beautiful and healing about that again that doesn't mean oh that was the reason that your loved one was taken from you but it is worth naming that sometimes a part of what comes out of that grief is how do i work for a world where these things that feel so unjust don't happen to somebody else and it won't won't bring my loved one back but maybe there's a way of how can i help try and spare somebody else some of this pain um and to me at least it seems like that that can often be a beautiful thing yes um i i love it when things like that can come out of out of grief cuz uh, ultimately we are a resurrection people in that we believe that new life comes out of death. And I think that's a great example of it. Um, I think that my only word of caution, the here be dragons, if yeah. you will, yeah. is that when, when somebody dies and you are confronted with somebody who is grieving, often we want to make that person feel better with our yeah. words. Yep. And in doing so, we often unintentionally or intentionally, but without meaning to, say really awful things. And I think that especially when it's a sudden unexpected death of a young person, we try to find those silver linings and like try to like give comfort by saying things like, God knows what God is doing. God will make something great come out of this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
And in that moment, when you are confronted with a grieving person, yep. please don't say stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's awful to hear because at that moment, that person who's grieving, all they want is their person next to them. Yeah. Not to think that, oh, God is going to do something great with this death. It's like, no, that's yeah. not, that's awful. Like, yeah. Like what kind of God would do that yep. to me? And therefore yep. I'm going to be angry at God because yep. God took this person away from me so that something great can happen yeah. over here. Like, yeah. no. Yeah. This reminds me uh, in the, in the first episode of our series, Eric and I talked a little bit about like some of those like bad theology moments and cliches mm -hmm. that people want to fall into again with the best of intentions, but like that, it, this is sort of along the same lines of the God need another angel or God won't give you anything more than you can handle. And like the, the implicit logic underneath that is that, God thought some other good cause was worth your suffering. And so God arranged it like that. We don't realize what we're saying in that moment, but man, it sure comes off like you are the expendable cost to some other part of a divine plan. Um, and my goodness, even Jesus doesn't do that when he is weeping out front of Lazarus's tomb. You know, it's it's funny how Mary and Martha are the ones who bring the pat religious answers. I know I'll see him in the great resurrection or whatever. And Jesus like, endures that and cuts past it and then when they get finally are able to be honest and angry at him if you had been here jesus he wouldn't have died like that he can take that as well and that jesus weeps and all that to me there is something really instructive but also helpful uh in all that to say jesus is does not take lazarus's death into uh i will you now use this as an object lesson um or this is only good but like nope this is terrible and my friend died and i'm weeping and then there's this evidence of death won't get the last word even here. Mm -hmm. uh, at the risk of trying to put a neat bow on things, uh, I guess I want to say, to me, that seems an important part of our witness as, particularly as followers of Jesus, as people who believe in this promise of new creation, that not only when dear great aunt Edna, who lived to 85 and seen everything checked off her bucket list dies, but also in those terrible moments when people die too young or very close and it feels tragic because it, it doesn't fit the pattern. Even in the midst of those situations, we are people who believe in new creation and in reunion and in restoration. And that while we were not given more Rachel Held Evans books in this life. Uh, and while we were not given more words or more time from our other loved ones and friends and colleagues um, whose lives feel like they are cut short, we are part of the promise is that there is reunion and restoration and new stories to be told, um, not just a recitation of the good old days or, or mm -hmm. that it's not just like a big class reunion where all we do is look backward, but that there are new memories to be made in that new creation. Um, and that there's there's more more to be told more more in that reunion that we're hoping for i guess Preaching. so with that <laughs> so with that we would invite you to join us next time for more conversation looking for honesty and hope in matters of death and dying here on crazy faith talk see y'all bye